Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of God this morning. It's good to be back. I was out last week. I was uh, virtually together on the Zoom call for the sunrise service, um, but I, I hung back at home. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, I've been nursing a broken rib, and I didn't know that I had broken it, but um, I, I was doing some work in my backyard, standing on the ladder, and the ladder fell out from under me, and I fell straight on the ground on my left side, knocked the wind out of me. Man. And uh, so I got up and uh, brushed it off. I went in, got an x-ray, and they said, oh, nothing's broken. You're fine. I said, all right, cool. So I just kept icing it for about a week. And then a week later, I sneezed. Woo-wee. I never thought a sneeze could hurt so bad. Somebody's like, man, you got a broken rib. What happened? I sneezed. <laughs> so I went in for a second x-ray, and sure enough, there was a broken bone in there. So apparently the first one didn't catch it. Um, but... Feeling a lot better today by the grace of God, and uh, glad glad to be able to glad to be able to. I still haven't sneezed since then. I've had the sensation a couple times, and I just like cover my face because I don't want that to happen again. Um, but um, I don't know if anybody's ever had that. But it was interesting to have a broken rib during the the time that we were recognizing the Passion of Christ, and I just thought to myself, if I could have one broken rib. But our Savior could have a crown of thorns, probably multiple broken ribs, lacerations on his back, nails through his wrists and through his feet, and still carry a cross however many miles he had to carry it up to the, to the Calvary Hill and die for you and for me. I could deal with one little broken rib. Amen? Don't you love how much our Savior loves us and how much he's taken upon himself for you and for me? couldn't fathom that. I, I walked in this morning and I also noticed a new addition. It seems like every Sunday there's a little new addition, whether it be a decoration or an extra palm tree or, or whatever, or the, the beautiful stones that are right here. But I also noticed this cross. Did everybody get a chance to notice that cross? Brother Ernie loves to work with his hands and, and, and be, uh, you know, use his gift of craftsmanship for God's glory. I don't know if you know, but the cross that's hanging in the sanctuary, he also built for us as well. Um, and there's something special about this one. I'm just going to make a quick remark, and then we'll get into the Word of God this morning. Uh, but a quick remark is the interesting thing about this cross is that it's standing upon a tripod, uh, so it's mobile. And it made me think, you know, every once in a while we get too excited about these big crosses in our churches that stay stuck on a wall, but I want our faith to be more like this cross that could go anywhere, right? You could put it in the back of your car, throw it in there, set it up wherever it is that you go. We don't want to just have church at church. We're the church wherever God calls us. We're the church in our communities. We're the church in our schools. We're the church in our neighborhoods and our sports. We're the church in the jails. We're the church in our, our homes and with our family members that don't know Jesus yet. We're the church wherever God calls the church to go. Amen. We're the church in a parking lot under a tent. We're the church on Zoom. We're the church on Facebook Live. We're the church on Instagram. We're the church wherever God calls us to be. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that we serve a God that last week we celebrated two, two tremendous things within a matter of days. We celebrated the fact that he loved us so much that he gave his life for us and didn't hold anything back. He poured it all out, uh, didn't hold back an ounce, but gave every single thing so that we could have forgiveness of sins. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. 
So therefore, the perfect Lamb of God, rather than us continuing to rely upon the, the, the regular and annual and daily sacrifice at that time, prior to the, the crucifixion of Christ on the cross, the only way to have one's sins forgiven was to present an animal to be sacrificed so that that animal's blood would cover us who are sinners. And so the only way that we could reach God was through the death of an animal. But Jesus came to be the once and for all sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God, that at his death, we no longer need to bring bulls and sheep, and we no longer need to bring goats, we no longer need to bring uh, sacrifices into the temple for our sins to be forgiven, because the perfect sacrifice, Jesus of Nazareth, died on the cross for you and for me. His blood covers us like a blanket. And so we, we celebrate and also, you know, remember his love for us. Uh, greater love does no one have than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus uh, demonstrated that love for us on the cross. Um, but the, the, the beautiful thing about the gospel uh, narrative is that the story doesn't stop on Friday. The story continues through Saturday where there was silence. And every once in a while, it's good for us to remember that uh, that, that every once in a while we live in the tension of silence. We want to have answers. We want to have direction. We want to have clarity. But every once in a while God, God doesn't yell or scream the answers at us and, and we wonder whether or not we've been abandoned, whether or not God you know, is no longer there, whether or not he's still fighting battles for us. But I want to remind you, church, that on Saturday, although it was quiet, Jesus was still fighting. And even, even when things are quiet in your life, when you're hoping for answers and it seems like there's a, a, an, an uncomfortable silence, God is in, present in the midst of silence as well. Amen? In fact, oftentimes we need more silence in this crazy loud world that we live in. Man, if you want to get silence, you got to get up early in the morning. And even then you're going to hear a car or two depending on where you live, driving on the freeway, a motorcycle driving too fast on the freeway. You're going to hear a helicopter go by depending on where you live. Right? So we need a little bit more silence. So Saturday reminds us of that silence, of that period in between the crucifixion and the resurrection. And then on Sunday, of course, last week, we celebrated the fact that when Sunday rolled around, the tomb was empty. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He's resurrected. Amen? His resurrected form is not a stylized form of resurrection. In fact, part of the proof when he encountered Thomas, the doubting disciple, Jesus said, hey, do me a favor, just so that you know I'm not virtual reality or a hologram. Stick your finger right here in my side. In other words, if we were following a Disney version of the resurrection, that side would have already been healed up. There wouldn't even been any scars there. But how many of you know that sometimes the scars that we carry remind us of God's goodness in our lives? It reminds us of where we've been and where God's taking us. So Jesus rose up again with scars. And in fact, he didn't even have scars yet. He had open wounds. So we need to be reminded that when God is in the process of healing us and transforming us, it's all right if it still hurts a little bit. Right? If you've been redeemed on a Sunday, don't be surprised if you got a headache on Monday. God is still at work. 
right? God is still at work. Don't be afraid of a little bit of pain, church. Don't, don't, be, afraid of, don't be afraid of still still bearing some of the wounds that we carry. Jesus carried them for us. In fact, he's got scars on the, on the, on the right-hand side of the Father right now. Right? When you look at Jesus, when we get to meet him one day, he's going to have scars around his forehead and on his side and through his hands. They didn't go away, but he took them for your sake and for mine. Therefore, when he does that same thing in our lives, don't be surprised if we still need to battle and wrestle with some of the, the consequences of what we're being saved from. Amen? See, I think some people fall away from faith because they expected a a magic pill to take away every single problem they had the moment they gave their life to Jesus. But I want to just remind you, church, that there ain't no such thing as a magic pill that does all of that. What we do have is the promise that God already won the victory. And he's never going to leave us alone and uh, and on our own. He's never going to abandon us or forsake us. He's going to be with us no matter what we go through, even if we have to go through some tough things. So if you experience some tough things, it doesn't mean God has forgotten about you. It means you get a chance to partner with God in his suffering so that you can enjoy with God in his glorification and resurrection. Amen? This is just called good theology this morning. And the reason why we need this is because if people have fake theology, they're going to fall away the moment they they get a cough. And they're going to say, oh, Lord, I didn't know I was going to get a cough anymore after I became a Christian. How how could a good God let me suffer with with this condition? Right? How could a good God allow me to fall off a ladder and break a rib? Because I need a better ladder. That's how, right? It has nothing to do with how good God is. And everything to do with the fact that I need to make a better purchase and have somebody spot me next time. All right? So, brothers, when I give you a call, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I shouldn't laugh too much. It hurts me a little bit to laugh. Ooh. Amen. I ain't sneezing. No way. No way. So good theology means we have a resurrected Savior. He's won the victory. Amen? Um, he, he's our, our battle partner. How many of you are glad, man? Imagine if you were, in, you were in the Army or you were in the Navy or you were in the Marines and you found out that Jesus was in your squad. Uh, I, man, I, I feel pretty good about that, right? No matter where we're going, what we're dealing with. See, that's what it's like to go through life, battling the battles that we have to know that Jesus has got your back. Jesus has got my back. Amen? So today, as we uh, continue the this story. We're not done with this story yet because we have some beautiful stories that continue to come our way post-resurrection. So we want to look at a few of those stories right now. If you have your Bible, would you please open with me to the Gospel of John? And just briefly, we're going to look at a couple of verses in chapter 18, and then we're going to skip our way over to chapter 21. Thank you for the water, Brother Robert. John chapter 18. Verse 15. When you have it, go ahead and say amen. All right. Simon Peter followed along behind, as did another of the disciples, That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the courtyard with Jesus. Peter 
stood outside the gate. Then the other disciple spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? No, he said, I am not. The guards and the household servants were standing around a charcoal fire they had made because it was cold. And Peter stood there with them, warming himself. Go ahead and go to verse 25 of the same chapter. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, they asked him again, Hey, aren't you one of his disciples? I am not, he said. But one of the household servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. Of course, chapters 19 is, documents the story of the crucifixion of Christ. Chapter 20 documents the story of the resurrection of Christ. And so now we find ourselves in John chapter 21. And I'm going to just begin reading a little bit in verse 1 and following, and then I'll, I'll skip down toward the bottom. It says, Later Jesus appeared again, to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the, of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, the disciples saw Jesus standing on the beach, but they couldn't see who he was. He called out, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net out on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get plenty of fish. And so they did. And they couldn't draw in the net because there were so many fish in it. I want to pause right there in the reading of the story. So here we find that Jesus had appeared to his disciples yet again. As I mentioned before, he appeared to Thomas and he appeared to Mary Magdalene. But there still hadn't been a moment where he had a chance to sit down with his right-hand man. The one who said that he would never deny Jesus no matter what would take place. Peter whispered to Jesus during the Last Supper, even if everybody else denies you and goes their own separate way. I will never deny you, Peter said. And then Jesus bursted his bubble by telling him, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. And so we find here in these passages that Peter, in fact, even though he promised Jesus that he would be there with him, even though he promised Jesus that he could count on him, even though he promised Jesus that he wouldn't go back to his former lifestyle, even though he promised Jesus that Jesus' time spent with him wasn't a waste, even though he promised Jesus that even though Jesus called him away from his life of being a fisher, uh, he was going to be called to be a fisher of men, even though he promised that he was going to live his life for Jesus, he still backslid and fell three times when Jesus needed him most. 
I don't know about you, but when you, when you read the, the scriptures, you find that Peter was a strong man, but Peter was also a prideful man. And pride is something that we all wrestle with. Right? You, you, ever, you ever been with somebody and they made a mistake and they'll find a way to admit to you without, that they made a mistake without actually admitting it? Right? They start making an excuse for it. Well, Peter was, was here. Um, you know, he had decided that he was going to go fishing after the resurrection of Christ. Of course, we all know that that's what he used to do before he began to follow Jesus. So in other words, Peter went back to what was comfortable for him. He went back to the lifestyle that God had called him away. How many of us know it's important for us in our lives, once God has called us out of something, to leave it alone and don't go back to it? If God called us out of a life of hate, let's leave it alone and not go back to it. If God has called us out of a life of temptation, let's leave it alone and not go back to it. If God has called us out of a life of drugs, alcohol abuse, let's leave it alone and not go back to it. If God has called us out of a life of bitterness, let's leave it alone and not go back to it. So the nets that they carried were not just fish, fishing nets. They, they metaphorically represented all the things that God had redeemed them from. So when they went back to grab the nets, it was almost to say we're giving up on this whole Jesus plan. It was good for three years, but you know what? We don't need it anymore. We need to, to, to go back and get back into what we knew before Jesus. And so they began to go fishing again. And then all of a sudden, guess who shows up on the shore of Galilee? Jesus himself. I bet you some of the other disciples were excited to see and hear that they were being visited by the resurrected Lord. They thought to themselves, it is true. Mary Magdalene said it, but we didn't believe it. Thomas said it, but we didn't believe it. But now we get to see him with our own eyes. It's Jesus. It's the Lord. I bet you just about everybody in that boat was excited to hear that Jesus was alive. But there was one person in the boat that was carrying mixed emotions. The excitement of their Savior and friend being alive, but also the guilt of, of knowing that he had let his friend down at the time of his greatest need, and they hadn't de dealt with it yet. You ever uh, had a, a rift between a, a friend or a family member, and it just it hasn't been dealt with, it hasn't been talked through, and it's just even awkward being together? Because you don't even know how to address it, especially the longer time goes by. And here Peter is wondering, man, how are we going to deal with this issue? What am I going to say to Jesus, and what is Jesus going to say to me? He was dreading this moment. As much as we would think that it would be a moment of joy and excitement, it was a moment of, uh-oh, what's Jesus going to say? He's going to throw it back in my face. He's going to say, didn't you just say a few days ago that you would never leave me? Didn't you just say that if everybody abandoned me, you never would? I thought you were the rock. I thought you were Cephas, Kephas, Peter. The nickname that Jesus had given him because his real name was Simon, but Jesus gave him the name The Rock before uh, The Rock Johnson, Dwayne Johnson. Peter was the original Rock. I don't know if he was as buff as uh, Dwayne Johnson, uh, but he sure was strong to be a fisherman. And Jesus gave him the nickname The Rock, and all of a sudden The Rock had 
a crack in it. And so Jesus uh, told them to cast their net on the other side. They caught a, a miraculous catch of fish after fishing all night. Jesus said, bring some of that fish over here. I already have the coals going. Let's make some breakfast. And the disciples came and they brought their fish to have breakfast. And while they were getting ready to enjoy their meal, Jesus called Peter to come sit down next to him. Peter, come over here. I want to talk with you. Oh, man, doesn't that feel weird when after you know you did something wrong and then you have to go to the principal's office? Or you, you got caught and your mom and dad tell you to go, come in the room, close the door. Oh, that was the last word I wanted to hear. No, let's leave the door open. Can we just talk about it right here? <laughs> Why do we have to go to the room? Right? Or, or here's one of my pet peeves that I don't like, so I never do it. So you'll never catch me doing this. But it, whenever somebody says, hey, can we talk, man? I need to talk with you about something later. I hate that. Because it could be something good, but you're just like, oh, man, what do they want to talk about? And you're making up scenarios about 10 or 15 different things it could be. And, and your mind always goes to the worst case scenario, right? I need to talk with you about something. No, don't ever tell me that. If you're going to tell me you need to talk with me about something, give me one word hint. I'm going to talk, let's talk about something, and it has to do with finances. Okay, thank you. Now I know. Shoot. We're going to talk about finances. We need, to, we need to talk about something, and it has to do with, you know, not making sure the dog's poop is cleaned up on time. Okay, thank God. I know what we're dealing with here. But don't ever just linger it and say, I need to talk about something. Oh, that's brutal. Don't do that to yourself, and don't do that to others. Okay, I'll get that off. That wasn't even part of the sermon. Let's get back to the Word of God. Let's get back to the word of God, okay? So, so Jesus says, Peter, come over here. We got to talk about something. Peter goes, oh, man, I already know what he wants to talk about, right? And, he, and Peter was looking all over the place. He didn't want to make eye contact with Jesus. He was all nervous, right, trying to keep himself busy. You need more logs for the fire? No, no, just sit down right here, bro. Sit down. Hey, John, go get the logs, you sure? You don't need the pan? We can put the fried fish. No, no, no. Sit down right here. Right? Thomas, go get the pan. Peter's like shaking. His knee's all shaking. Right? He's all nervous about what that conversation's going to look like. And Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, verse 15, do you love me more than these? First of all, notice that Jesus didn't call him Peter. He called him Simon. He called him by the name that he had before Jesus called him to be a disciple. In other words, what Jesus is doing is he's going back to that first day he met Peter. Remember that? First day he met Peter, he said, come, I'll make you fisher of men. And at that point, he didn't yet have the name Peter. So Jesus is giving him a new beginning. Right? He's saying, forget about all that other stuff, about all the, the, the mistakes that you made, the things you did or didn't do, the time you cut that dude's ear off when I didn't tell you to do it, the, the time you, you wanted to build us sheds to go worship on the mountain, and, and you were missing the point completely. Jesus said, forget about all the things you did, and forget all about all the things that you didn't do. We're going to start all over. And he calls him Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. 
Verse 16, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Once more he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that Jesus asked the, third, the question a third time, and he said, Lord, you know everything, and you know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. This is a beautiful story, one that we might call the reinstatement of Peter, who thought that he had lost his job. The reinstatement of Peter, who thought that he had lost Jesus' respect and love and care. Peter was sure that he would receive a demotion for this. Maybe he could still be a disciple, but he sure would not be the head disciple. But Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? He says, you know that I love you. He says, all right, you still have your job, and we have a lot of work to do. People are hungry, and they need to eat spiritual food. Will you feed my sheep? Peter says, yes, I will. And in that conversation around a fire, while they were grilling up some fish on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, in that moment, everything that Peter felt like he had done to let Jesus down, Jesus forgave him and gave him back his dignity. He gave him back his name. He gave him back his purpose. He gave him back his job. He gave him a brand new fresh start. And he says, let's do it better this time. And Peter says, you got it, Lord. How many of you are glad that whenever we make a mistake, Jesus doesn't leave us in our mistake, but he goes out and seeks us out? Even if we're out on a boat fishing, Jesus will come to the shore and yell and bring us back over so that we can work it out and make sure that things are made right. He doesn't leave us in our mistake, but he brings us back to a place where we could be restored so that we can be used for God's glory, no matter what we've been through, no matter where we've been. Aren't you glad that this story doesn't, doesn't show that Jesus took Peter aside and, and took him behind the rock and away from all the disciples and yelled at him for three hours? Told him all the things he wasn't and all the things that he was? Using some special language? How could you, Peter? I needed you. Aren't you glad that Jesus isn't a whiner and a crybaby? It doesn't come to Peter and start telling him all the things that he did. Peter already knows what he did and how he messed up. All he needed to know was that Jesus still loved him and had a plan for him. And that his mistakes weren't too much to cause him to be unusable in God's hands. Aren't you thankful that none of us in here are in the category of unusable in God's hands? You ever heard that saying that we're, we're hardest on ourselves than we are on anybody else? We give everybody else grace, but when it comes to ourselves, all of a sudden we're unforgivable. Jesus died on the cross so that nothing that we would do would be unforgivable as long as we repent and are, are willing to let go of our pride and run back toward God. If we're able to do that, no matter where we've been and what we've done, God has the ability to forgive us, restore us, and give us a plan for our life. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, your God is big enough. Amen? Uh, I had to discipline my daughter a few weeks ago. And uh, she didn't like it very much because we had to discipline her. And, and she said, uh, you know, 
I mean, she's probably watching right now. Ruthie, if you're watching, I'm telling you, I'm telling on you. But she's, she, we don't use the, uh, the H word in our house too often, but she said, uh, I, I hate you and I don't want to live here anymore. And she goes, I'd rather live at Papa and Pipa's house, Pastor Isaac and Pastor Rita's house. Like, I know why you want to live over there. She's the queen of, she's the princess of that house. In my house, she's my daughter and she's got to do what I say. But she goes, I want to live over there. How, how immature would it be of me as a dad if my, when my kindergarten daughter says something like that, all of a sudden I get offended by it? I'll tell you what, on a scale of 1 to 100, I was zero offended by that because she's a kindergartner, and when her feelings are hurt, she's going to say stuff that she doesn't mean. I know that she loves me, and I know that she loves living in my home. So when my kindergartner starts mouthing off at me that about she don't like me and doesn't want to live in my house, I'm not crying about it. Some of us think you said something about God and all of a sudden he's in heaven crying about it right now. Come on, you kindergartners. Nothing you can say or do is going to cause your God to be offended by your little self. Oh, man, but I did. How many times did I go back to that same place after I told God I wasn't going to do it? Yeah, I know, but you're in kindergarten. God's gonna, he sees that. As long as you're willing to recognize you're not doing it anymore, it's all right with your God. He still loves you. He's not offended by you. You think you're big enough to offend God? You got too, much of, you got too high of a, a self-ego if you think you could uh, offend God. When my, when my knuckle, knucklehead... Son, Micaiah comes up to me and socks me in the place nobody should ever sock somebody. I don't start going, oh, man, how could my, how dare my son hit me there? And I'm his father. He should have more respect for me than that. No, I go, he's two years old. He's learning how to punch. He's got a pretty good punch, too. Let me go get some ice. And I'm impressed by my, my, my son's right hook. Right? I don't, I don't go, oh, man, I'm not going to talk to you for two weeks now because you hit me below the belt, my two-year-old, my Kaya. Oh, man. Some of us in here, you hit God below the belt, and he's laughing at you. He's like, come on, man, put a little more force behind it. Put it this way. Jesus called Peter to sit down next to him because Peter was afraid that what he had done was unforgivable, and Jesus reminded him, Peter, I ain't going to go away that easily, bro. Let's fix this thing up. Let's do it the right way next time. Don't hang your head down. Pick your chin up. Put your chest out. Stop crying about it. Dust yourself off. Nobody's going to get saved by you soaking. Nobody's going to know my name, that I'm Jesus, that I'm the Savior, if you're over here fishing all the time. Get yourself off the boat, and let's get back to work. Come on, Peter. The Kleenex is right over there. All right, you done crying now? Let's go. Jesus put Peter back to work. So I want to finish with just a few words on forgiveness. Is that all right? Because how many of us are thankful that we receive the forgiveness of God? But, but the, at the same moment that we thank, we're thankful to God for forgiving us, there's somebody in our life that we haven't forgiven yet. There's somebody in our, our story that we continue to hold a grudge against because of something that they did or something that they said. In other words, we believe that it's okay for God to forgive us of whatever we've done, but we have conditions on people who have done stuff against us. And I wanna just remind us as the people of God today that we're not allowed to do that. Everybody wants forgiveness, but nobody wants to forgive. 
right? Everybody wants to be forgiven, but we all hold on to something against somebody else. And what I want to say to you is this. If you truly want to receive forgiveness of God, then you have to think about what it means to forgive somebody for what they've done to you. Amen? I know there's, there's a half of you in here who are thinking, but what about this? What if they did this? And what if they did that? See, I can understand forgiving somebody for, you know, stealing $20 from my purse. I can understand some, forgiving somebody for nicking my car in the parking lot, especially at church, right? When they're supposed to be parking every other car, but they park two feet away from mine, driving a red car, and I got a red mark on my white car. Some of you are like, oh, man, where did I park today? You're like, I can forgive somebody for a, a, a ding on my car. But, man, I can't forgive that one person on what they did to me 20 years ago. I, can't, I just can't. And what I would say is this. Yes, you can. Not on your own strength, but in the strength of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. When you surrender it to the Lord and you allow the Lordly Spirit that forgives us of everything we've gone through to work through you, you have the ability and the power to forgive anybody for whatever they've done, no exceptions. If you think I'm lying, come and talk to me after service. I'm not saying it's easy to forgive, but what I'm saying is if you don't forgive, then you're not following what the scriptures have to say. The longer you hold on to it, the longer you're, you're, you're giving up on the blessing of God that flows through you for offering to others what God has offered to you. Amen? I'm not saying that because I think it's easy. I'm saying it because it's what God is calling us to do. Jesus on the cross looked at the Roman soldiers and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it wasn't just for theatrical effect that he did that. There was a man, um, a fireman by the name of Matt Swatzel, who after a long shift as a firefighter was driving home and fell asleep at the wheel, working a double shift. And because he had fallen asleep at the wheel, he got into a car accident. And there was a family in the car, a man, his wife who was pregnant. And on that, that evening, as he was driving home from work, the woman and the baby both lost their life in that accident. Her name was June Fitzgerald. Her husband, Miss Fitzgerald's husband, went to the court when Mr. Swatzel had to go and, you know, face the repercussions of what had taken place at his hands for driving um, recklessly as, as he had fallen asleep. And her husband requested that his sentence be diminished. And when they released him from jail, this man who lost his wife and his unborn child met every week with the firemen to remind him that God loved him. And he didn't have to carry the guilt of what he had done. He said, I forgive you. And it's all right. It was an accident. You didn't mean to do it. God still loves you. And I love you too. And I want to be your friend. And they continue to have a, a long-standing relationship to this day. You might ask, how could anybody ever forgive somebody for doing something like that? By the power of God. Amen? So the story that we see in, Rome, in, in John chapter 21 reminds us 
that God calls us not to be the kind of people who hold on to things, but if he can forgive like he forgave Peter, then we can forgive as well. It's not easy to forgive. It's not easy to offer forgiveness. But it's important for us to think about what it means for us to relay what God has done for us. I believe the capacity and desire to forgive is one of the most distinctive markers of the way of Christ. And so if we want forgiveness, then we have to forgive as well. Jesus also told his disciples, when you go to worship and you're bringing your sacrifice with you and you're getting ready to worship God, but you remember at that moment that somebody has something against you. He says, press pause on your worship service and go and work things out with your brother and your friend or your sister. And after you've worked things out with them, then come back and offer your worship here in the synagogue or the temple. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, is if you really want to raise up your hands and worship in church, but you're holding on to something inside of you that you haven't offered forgiveness, or maybe somebody is holding on against something to you that you've never actually gone back toward them to ask for forgiveness. He says, don't, don't bother singing those songs. Don't bother trying to act all holy when you don't love your brother and sister and you're holding something against them or they're holding something against you. Go and make it right with them. And as you do that, you're going to make things right with your heavenly father. I don't know about you, but those are moments when I wish those verses were omitted from the Bible and all I had was John 3.16. I wish it was as easy as, Lord, forgive me for my sin in Jesus' name, amen. And then, and then the Lord says, yeah, you, I will, but you got to do some work too, my friend. Because before your, your singing is in tune with the worship of your heart, you got to figure out what's going on with your earthly relationships. And if you got stuff going on there, if you got issues going on there, Jesus is saying, then go and work on those as well so that your heavenly, your vertical relationship can be made right. Like I said, I, I really wish that it was just as simple as John 3.16. But we got more of the Bible. There's a whole bunch more verses than that one verse. Which means if we want to receive the forgiveness of God, we have to consider what it means for us to offer forgiveness as well. Amen? A couple more points. The first one is this. Some people say, you know what? If you, if you forgive somebody, you're really doing yourself a big favor because you've been carrying all that poison in your heart, that animosity, that, that grudge and resentment. And what I would say is, that's fine in a secular world because yes, psychologically it is proven that if you release something that you've been carrying, it feels better and you have less spiritual, psychological, mental, emotional, physical uh, repercussions as a result. So yes, you do receive a benefit. But if the only reason to forgive somebody is to make you feel better, then you're not forgiving like Jesus did. Jesus didn't forgive us so he could feel better. He still had nails in his wrists. He forgave us because we need to be forgiven. In other words, if you're wondering, why should I forgive somebody? Yes, you will receive a personal benefit from letting it go and putting it in God's hands. But you're not forgiving them to make yourself feel better. You're forgiving them because Jesus forgave you. And he calls you and me to live like him.
So we're doing it out of obedience, not to make us feel better. Does that make sense? If you read a self-help book, it's going to tell you to do it so that you can make yourself feel better. And you will feel better, but we don't do it for that reason. We do it to glorify God. We do it to show that nothing's impossible with God. Amen? I'm going to pause right there because I, I, I can keep going, but I don't want to keep, I don't want to open up a whole bunch more stuff. We'll, 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 how about we deal with this another day? Is that all right? We continue talking about the, the power and the purpose of forgiveness. Amen? And let's just remember this morning what Jesus did with Peter. Peter thought he was a lost cause. He was afraid to re-engage with Jesus. He wasn't sure what Jesus was going to say to him. And, and Jesus sat him down and let him know, Peter, don't worry. I got you. I'm with you. You made a mistake. It's all good. Let's work through it. Let's try not to make those mistakes again. I got a plan for you. I got a calling for you. It is still very much alive and active. If you're ready, let's go and do this thing together. There's a lot of hungry sheep out there. And Peter said, I I I'm there. I'm ready. And Jesus said, amen. Aren't you glad just like he restored Peter, he restores us in our lives? No matter where we are and what we're going through, there's an invitation for us to sit down next to Jesus around a fire and to receive from him the loving correction and the loving restoration that comes from wrestling with the things that we've been struggling with. Our God is a good God. Amen? Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we... We thank you this morning that your word, it just keeps on getting better. You died on the cross for us. You got up again on the third day. And then beyond that, you still had work to do before you ascended to heaven by visiting with your disciples. And you knew exactly what each and every single one of them needed to hear and see in order for them to follow you and to, to be faithful to you in the life that you were calling them to. Thanks for the story of Peter. Thanks for showing us that uh, it's okay to make mistakes. And when we do make mistakes, that you're a God who's able to see us through. Hold our hand. Pat us on the back. Push our chin up. And remind us that you still have a plan and a purpose for our life. And so, Lord, we recognize that we are sinners and we need forgiveness. We've sinned against you and we've sinned against others. But, Lord, we also recognize today that you call us to be forgivers as well. So Lord, help us when we are eager to receive your forgiveness, but slow to offer forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Teach us, Lord, your way, which is a, a way of strength, a way of courage, uh, a way of trust and of faith a way of love and a way of hope, a way of compassion. Work in our hearts, Lord, so that we don't become those who desperately seek to be pardoned by you while we hold on to the verdicts of so many others. Let us be a, a vessel of the same love that we've received. Teach us, Lord, because we can't do it on our own. Our flesh and our nature teaches us to hold on to it, to let it store up and create all kinds of 
feelings of animosity, resentment, maybe even pretending that people don't exist. But Lord, just as you've shown us mercy and you've shown us your love, teach us how to do that with others as well. We ask this in Jesus, your mighty name, and all God's people say, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord, church. God bless you.